Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And what else could be on your screen but the Microsoft Xbox logo? After all, this will be the 50th video in the Microsoft Times Activision playlist as we go over some pretty big news over the weekend that so many of you sent to me for my comments. I'm very appreciative of that process. I can't get to the entirety of the internet. I certainly am not regularly checking out the New York Post. But before we get to this big headline from the Post, Rift at FTC, we have to talk about the Federal Trade Commission, how it works, what its particular situation is right now, and also clear up some misconceptions or misreadings of a couple of other articles that happened over the weekend so that we can get to the root of just what the New York Post is reporting, how seriously we should take it, and what it means for the future of the Microsoft Activision deal. So with that as our baseline, let's take a look at that Bloomberg article that was also put out in the last few days. Microsoft is ready to fight for its $69 billion Activision deal. Now, if you've been following this with me either here or in other places that I've commented on it, you know that the last few days, last two weeks really, have been kind of a maelstrom, a whirlwind for rumors, innuendo, and speculation regarding the Microsoft Activision deal. It started with the New York Times that leaked out that Microsoft had put forth a potential 10-year contract for Call of Duty on Sony's PlayStation system or systems with 10 years, probably inclusive of the PlayStation 6, if we're being honest. And that was designed to respond to places like the UK's CMA, the EU's European Commission, and of course, the American Federal Trade Commission that has been hinting that they have a concern with respect to the ability for Microsoft to quote unquote foreclose its competitors, namely to keep video games off of Sony's PlayStation. Now we're going to leave that aside as to whether that's a great argument. Certainly I have talked about it at length in this now very, very, very long playlist, but suffice it to say, it appeared that regulators were concerned about this availability. And so Microsoft had started to make overtures towards both the European Union, which is where we had a leak from Reuters, I believe, and also Sony directly that, hey, okay, let's get a license done. This isn't the kind of deal that really should be blocked by these regulators. Let's make sure it can happen with what we call concessions or consent decrees or undertakings or any of this bit of legal language. And let's make sure we can get it done with some promises that we make to you. Then it came out from Politico and others that basically said, the FTC is looking to potentially sue to block this deal. Now, of the options the FTC has, they can sue to block, they can go with concessions, or they can allow the deal. Now, the FTC, as I've said in a number of places, and journalists continue to get this wrong, doesn't approve deals. They always reserve the right to challenge them after the fact. That's very clearly stated in their statutes, the rules, the regulations, the speeches that they make, but that's fine. Suffice it to say, the FTC can allow the deal, they can sue to block it, or they can accept the deal with certain promises made by the parties. Now, when the FTC gets leaked as having decided to sue, and we've talked about that in this space where I said that's probably a little bit overwrought, overstated in these articles because you'd have to draft a complaint document, a lawsuit type document, even if you're going to agree to concessions. Once that gets leaked out, a lot more starts getting leaked out on the Microsoft side, including here in Bloomberg where they say Microsoft is ready to fight when, if the FTC decides to block. Microsoft Corp is ready to fight for its acquisition if the US Federal Trade Commission, FTC, files a lawsuit seeking to block the deal according to a person familiar with the matter. Now, as always, and we're going to say this so often in this video, particularly with respect to the New York Post, we have to take anonymous sources or sources that are not terribly close to the matter at hand with a huge grain of salt, especially when you've got all these moving parts, all these sophisticated parties, politicians, giant mega corporations, 
all with the capability, the resources, and honestly, the providers of public relations and legal help to make statements like this. We have to take all of that with a grain of salt because Microsoft knows what it's doing here. And it certainly sounds like Microsoft is the one leaking this to Bloomberg. Now, why do you leak something like this? They want the FTC to know that if you bring this, we're going to fight it that there might be a political cost to losing to us on a specious legal claim. Because right now, all of the politics lives with the Federal Trade Commission. The Federal Trade Commission could decide to bring even a bad case in order to potentially change the law or to do something else to get themselves in the press. And the Federal Trade Commission has expressed a desire to be grander and louder in order to make these corporations think twice before even entering in to these merger agreements. So that's something that the Federal Trade Commission might do. So here the Microsoft folks, seemingly anonymously sourced, of course, are doing the same thing in reverse. They are saying, okay, if you're going to do that, we're going to try to make it painful for you. We are going to challenge that. Even if it takes years, we're going to spend that money. And that always made sense when you look at the billions of dollars on the line for Microsoft if it gets blocked through the regulatory process. But again, we take it with a grain of salt because even if Microsoft is presenting this right now, as you or I know, you can present one way and not really have a belief that you'll pursue that if push came to shove. It would be a very long project to get into a lawsuit with the Federal Trade Commission. The Xbox maker hasn't had conversations with the FTC about remedies or concessions aimed at getting the deal approved, said the person, but the FTC staff is wrapping up its investigation and is expected to make a recommendation soon. The FTC commissioners would then vote on whether to file a case. So we're going to talk about this all uh, as we go through and talk about the Federal Trade Commission's position right this second before we get back to that New York Post article. But what's important is that the Federal Trade Commission is run by commissioners, right? We can go and we can look at the Federal Trade Commission Act right here. It says this commission is created and established to be known as the Federal Trade Commission, which shall be composed of five commissioners who shall be appointed by the president by and with the advice and consent of the Senate. So they have to be named by the president, approved by the Senate, but unlike some other positions in our government, it also has the following line, not more than three of the commissioners shall be members of the same political party. But adding even a little bit more controversy, complexity, however you want to see this, at the end of this particular statute, it says, a vacancy in the commission shall not impair the right of the remaining commissioners to exercise all the powers of the commission. So you're supposed to have five commissioners, three from one party, two from the other, and then you are supposed to proceed on the basis of getting dissenting opinions on a somewhat bipartisan basis, because it's a very important commission that is supposed to be relatively neutral, evaluating things like unfair competition laws, false advertising, and of course, in this particular case, the antitrust laws. But that's not quite the situation that we have right now. Importantly, when you talk about the antitrust laws, when we say the commission does something, that's generally going to be the commissioners. Now, the Federal Trade Commission is not just five people, or in this case, four. We'll get back to that in just a minute. It is, in fact, a bunch of folks that work at this commission, including what we generally refer to as staff or staff attorneys, that go through these investigations, deliver the complaint documents, and otherwise do their jobs before then going and getting commissioner approval. So when you see things like this, when they talk about their enforcement authority, and they say, when the commission has reason to believe that a law violation has occurred, the commission may issue a complaint setting forth its charges, and if the respondent elects to settle, it may sign a consent agreement, consent to entry of a final order, and waive all right to judicial review at both the unfair methods of competition and antitrust levels. When we use the phrase commission, we're talking mostly about the commissioners. You actually have to have the Federal Trade Commission as a commission act to get most of the really big things done. So the staff does its job, 
goes through all the depositions, does the investigations, figures out whether it has a problem with Microsoft Times Activision, then makes a recommendation to the commissioners. The commissioners vote, uh, all five of them vote, probably with a result of three to two in most cases, especially now in the world in which we live in 2022, and then the thing moves forward. But we don't have a full commission right this second. And in fact, that's a big time part of the story. So you might recall, and I put this particular thumbnail up in a couple of places in virtual legality now, I have said that the FTC has lost its mind, that its particular suit to block Facebook slash Meta's acquisition of a very small VR company called Within was way beyond the bounds of what we traditionally see as antitrust jurisprudence, even from the more activist interpretations of antitrust law. They were saying Facebook slash Meta couldn't purchase in to this industry that they're not otherwise involved in because, well, we really want them to invest their own money in that and they shouldn't be allowed to just buy another company, which is a, let's say, disfavored argument in most antitrust jurisprudential circles. So I said, huh, the FTC is going far afield, and this was over the summer, and since then, well, things have gotten even more complicated at the FTC. You see here a Bloomberg leak that says the FTC's con, that's Chairwoman Lena Khan, overruled staff to sue Meta over the VR app deal. This is over the summer, and this suggests that the staff didn't recommend suing to block this particular deal, but Lena Khan marshalling the three Democrats that are currently on the Federal Trade Commission won a three to two vote to try to block this deal in a fashion that, as I've described it to you, is not legally sound. That led to a Republican on the commission, one of those two nay votes on that particular deal, stepping down, saying, I'm not going to last the rest of my term. This happens, I believe, in August, as leaked by Politico, which would leave you, as you might suspect, with three Democrats to one Republican and a vacancy as of the middle of September. But as you might suggest already from the issues that are apparent just in this particular process, there is no particular rush to fill that vacancy, right? Or as the Washington Post said, when this vacancy occurred, it's unclear when Biden may nominate a replacement for Phillips. He took historically long to nominate numerous key tech enforcers and several nominees have languished in the Senate. And Phillips' departure may not significantly impact Democrats' ability to execute any of their agenda items at the agency where they already have the majority, right? If you're Joe Biden, you're the head of the Democratic Party, you're president of the United States, what rush is there to fill in that vacancy and add a dissenting voice to the way the commission operates? Also, traditionally, if you don't know this, generally speaking, the Republicans in the Senate get to go and tell the president exactly who they would like in that spot. And the president generally accedes to that, even if they're in the opposite party, allowing the minority party to pick the person that is supposed to represent their party on these commissions and agencies. We'll come back to this, but that's the state of play right now. Four people on the FTC, three Democrats, one Republican, and Lena Khan, who was only recently named chairperson at the Federal Trade Commission, has had those speeches, has pursued this aggressive policy that I have talked about earlier in this series. In the event the FTC tries to block the case, says this Bloomberg article, Microsoft is gearing up to contest that decision in court, said the person who asked not to be identified, speaking about internal strategy. That would be internal to Microsoft. Every indication from this Bloomberg article is that this is a Microsoft leak, might even be an authorized control leak. We don't know. All speculative, of course. But Microsoft appears to be talking to Bloomberg through this individual and saying, hey, we're willing to sue over this. You should be worried. We'll talk about that more because the adjudicative process in the FTC's hands is one where it's somewhat difficult to win, certainly early on, because the FTC reviews its own 
issues. They file a complaint with themselves reviewed by an administrative judge that is in their commission. And then if you don't like that particular ruling, you appeal it to the Federal Trade Commission. As I said, we'll get back to that. Microsoft's other option would be to abandon the deal in the face of an FTC challenge. Well, if the FTC sues over it, one option could be to abandon it. But if they aren't quite ready to file for a lawsuit, the time is open to actually advocate for concessions. In fact, that's what this time frame is very likely to result in. Microsoft's best chance to win approval to buy Activision is to persuade the Biden administration to accept a settlement in which it pledges it won't withhold its popular titles from rivals. Now, this is just kind of a raw speculative assertion. We don't actually know right this second what the Federal Trade Commission is most worried about. In fact, the leaks that we have had them most worried about workers, workers' rights and treatment of workers at Activision, especially as they moved over to Microsoft. Now, I also talked in this playlist about the fact that that isn't really the ambit of the antitrust laws. It's not a great law to use to affect change on the labor side. We have labor laws for that. But the Federal Trade Commission was looking to expand some of its authority on the antitrust level. And we'll get back to that too. I know I've said that three or four times. Believe me, we've got a lot to discuss in this particular video, but we'll get back to why that's probably not a winning argument for the FTC either. FTC is taking an aggressive approach to mergers, says Bloomberg, especially when it comes to technology and digital markets, but hasn't indicated whether it plans to sue to block the deal. In July, the agency did sue Meta Platforms from buying virtual reality fitness app within, claiming that the transaction could eliminate competition in a new market. We'll correct the typo for you. Bloomberg referred to as nascent competition. I think we could trust people to understand what the word nascent means, but hey, here we are. Microsoft has offered Sony a deal in which it would make Call of Duty games available on the PlayStation for a decade, although the companies would need to work out financial terms for that agreement. The person said, yes, you can offer a 10-year license. You'd still have to negotiate what that means. The software giant has advised regulators of those discussions, but hasn't formally made a remedy proposal because the review process hasn't advanced to that stage. And I want to clear things up here a little bit. A couple of people contacted me vis-a-vis social media or otherwise and said, hey, isn't this Microsoft saying we don't want to offer concessions? We're not going to be interested in that. Sue us or get out. No, we've talked about this a little bit in this space, but suffice it to say, Microsoft wants to wait as long as possible before just offering things out in the open because to do so is effectively to negotiate against yourself. So they want Europe, they want the UK, they want the FTC to really come in a meeting format and say, what is it? that you would have us do. You're concerned about consoles. You're concerned about cloud. You're concerned about Game Pass. Whatever it is that you're concerned about, maybe we don't believe you. We're not going to highlight that too much. But what is it that you would have us do to make you happy? And if that matches up with something we're willing to do, well, then we can just proceed on a concession consent decree undertakings basis and move forward with the deal. But you don't want to just start offering things into the ether because you don't even know if they'd care. And certainly if it hurts you or makes them look good, they're going to accept regardless of whether or not they would have asked for it in a concession negotiation. So Microsoft has been saying, wait, wait, wait. And only now after that New York Times article are we seeing them kind of move forward with 10 years, trying to block in Sony to look bad if they don't accept that. We've heard rumors of Microsoft and Sony meeting on that 10-year offer separately. We don't know what will happen with that. But this is Bloomberg effectively doing Microsoft's work for them over the weekend and saying Microsoft is willing to sue over this, you best think twice FTC. Now, it doesn't make financial or strategic sense for Microsoft to keep the best-selling game franchise from PlayStation because more copies of the game are sold on PlayStation than Xbox and because such a move would anger gamers in a way that could have negative impacts for Microsoft, the person said. And that's Microsoft's argument to these regulators. We've read that to you in this space. So it's pretty darn clear that this anonymous source is, in fact, 
a Microsoft individual. Because of the different stages of the various probes around the world, Microsoft is likely to discuss this step first with the European Commission, which has set a March 23rd deadline to complete its in-depth review of the deal. Now, that language doesn't make a ton of sense to me in this context because Europe is kind of in the middle of all this. The CMA has a preliminary review that ends in January, I think. The EU has the latest going to March or April on this. And then the FTC is scheduled to keep talking with its staff attorneys and potentially have a commissioner vote this year. Microsoft and the CMA will both appear at a main party hearing in mid-December, part of the UK merger process that will allow them to hash out and test the party's arguments. An interim decision by that agency is expected by January. So this whole article on timeframes, very, very confused. But what you want to get from it, at least if you're Microsoft, is you want people to know you are willing to fight on this. You're willing to go to the mattresses. You are willing to expend resources, time, and money in order to pursue this deal. And at this stage in the proceedings, on a negotiation standpoint, you're trying to communicate to the FTC and realistically the other regulators, but only the FTC right now, that this will not be something easy that you can just block us out and then celebrate that you blocked us out of this deal. This is something that's worth something to us. We think your legal arguments are specious and we will fight it if you bring us to that level. Let's instead talk concessions. This is hardball. You've got essentially mutually assured destruction being aimed at each other from both the regulators and Microsoft, which is very interesting, but it's also not the end of the story. Now, I already talked to you about some of the issues with the FTC, the fact that it's got four people on it, the fact that a Republican left basically in August saying there's not really actual discussions happening at the FTC. There's no point in my wasting my time with this particular endeavor. And then you also saw in the past few months articles that started coming out about the Federal Trade Commission that I think have to give them at least a little bit of pause. So here is The Hill. This is only an op-ed So we don't have to take this for any kind of newsworthiness, but I wanted to give a flavor for what is happening with respect to the Federal Trade Commission and the political geography that they're dealing with. So here the Hill article points out over the past few years, the Federal Trade Commission has suffered a series of stinging defeats in headline matters. The reversal in August 2020, the district court order in the agency's lawsuit against Qualcomm, the near dismissal in June 2021 of one of its lawsuits against Facebook, and most recently, the rejection in February and September 2022, respectively by administrative law judges of its lawsuits against Altria and Illumina. And we actually talked about uh, one of those in a previous video in this series about how administrative law judges, even though they're a part of the Federal Trade Commission, are ostensibly supposed to be evaluating this separately, even though they can appeal to themselves. If this were a business, says the opinion writer here, the firm shareholders might be asking for new management. In government, voters might be asking why their dollars keep being spent on enforcement actions that lead nowhere. And eventually that will come home to roost from a political perspective. Agency leadership and its supporters in Congress, think tanks, and much of the media will blame the law, repeating the now familiar claim that antitrust law is broken. In fact, many of you that watch this video might feel the same way. This opinion editorial author says differently, yet perhaps it is the agency that is broken. Contrary to popular statements made by some policymakers and commentators, it is not the mission of the antitrust laws to punish big firms just for being big. Rather, antitrust enforcers must demonstrate that those firms have secured commercial success through something other than competition on the merits. And if the agency cannot make that case, then a judge must reject the suit. Any other course of action would abandon the market to the unfettered exercise of regulatory fiat. And you've heard me say very similar in this space, the antitrust laws and jurisprudence about the antitrust laws for a very long period of time says, hey, being a monopoly, being big, having market power, that's not illegal. We want you to get to that through good competition, higher quality goods and services, lower prices, efficient supply chains, whatever it might be. We don't want to punish 
people acting in commerce in the market for being successful at doing that. And that's one of the areas where the FTC has really struggled to distinguish when it's going to bring a claim and when it's not. Federal Trade Commission leadership has suggested that they have little concern about losing big cases. In fact, I believe it's Lena Khan that said that in a speech. Not only does this reflect a disdain for making prudent use of public resources, says the author, it also reflects indifference to the substantial costs imposed by unsubstantiated enforcement of the antitrust laws. And then they talk more at length about all of this. But the point is, this isn't the only place where you're seeing these kinds of discussions. You are looking at a Federal Trade Commission that has been aggressive in certain aspects, had a lawsuit against Facebook for trying to purchase within, had a Republican commissioner leave because he says there's absolutely no commentary going on here. That leaves a vacancy, which does give the the Democrats and the Federal Trade Commission an advantage. They can go and vote for most things three to one, but it also makes things possible to have a deadlock, right? In ordinary circumstances, you don't want a company's board of directors or group of managers or an agency's commissioners or whatever you might frame your organizational structure as at the top to have an even number of members because that allows for deadlock and that creates problems with actually operating your company. And that's kind of what we've gotten into. Now, he also references a Supreme Court case that I think folks should be aware of that talks about everything that we've mentioned with respect to how the Federal Trade Commission operates that has just been argued before the Supreme Court in the United States asking whether or not this entire administrative judge process and not being allowed to appeal until the FTC or whatever other agency goes through its whole process is actually constitutional, is actually something that should be allowed in the United States. And the Supreme Court, as indicated here in this headline, justices seem receptive, is looking like they might potentially challenge the constitutionality and effectiveness of some of these pretty darn old laws that gave the administrative power and the commissioner power to these agencies of the United States. In this paragraph kind of summarizes what we're talking about. The two cases involve substantially identical statutes that govern challenges to final orders issued by the FTC and the SEC. That's the Securities and Exchange Commission, not Nick Saban's Southeastern Conference. In each case, the statutes provide that the sole method for challenging those orders is a petition for review in the Court of Appeals. In both cases, the targets of the agency's investigations did not want to wait for the proceedings to conclude, but instead went straight to a federal district court, a lower level. In both cases, the plaintiff contended that the agency proceedings are so biased that they offend the due process clause and also that the rules for removal of the ALJs, administrative law judges, who eventually would hear any proceedings, violate the Constitution's appointments clause, where you have very specific requirements for an executive agency like this one. Suffice it to say, it's a very technical issue. We're not going to go to it too deeply in this video or in virtual reality in general, but it is worth noting with articles like the one in the Hill, and I believe this is a professor at... Uh, USC, the University of Southern California, talking about these things. You don't have to agree with them at all, but it is worthwhile to understand the political situation that the FTC finds itself in after a whirlwind couple of years under control by chairperson Lena Khan, that you have Supreme Court challenges to the very way that they operate to look at issues like this one. And that's what leads us to this headline article on the New York Post website. So Rift at FTC stirs hope for Microsoft's $69 billion Activision merger, colon sources. Now let's back up a step because the New York Post has been a frequent visitor on my channel here, either in virtual legality or in my morning show called Hangouts and Headlines, where we dissect what is written in both headlines and in articles about issues of either importance or silliness, depending on the day in question. The New York Post has been a frequent visitor on my channel because I don't, in my opinion, think they have a very good reporting acumen on this stuff. And this article, realistically, 
isn't any different. So we're going to be pointing out the holes in what they're going to say here, or more specifically where they're asking or inviting you to speculate with them on certain aspects of this. I believe they have one kernel of what they believe to be truth, and we'll take it with a grain of salt, but if true, really does call the FTC's current efforts, especially in respect to Microsoft and Activision, into question, but we're going to have to get a grain of salt that's just really large. I mean, really boulder-sized grain of salt for this. On that note, Let's talk about Lena Khan, the Federal Trade Commission, and what the New York Post has claimed to discover here. A rift has emerged at the Federal Trade Commission over Microsoft's $69 billion deal to acquire Activision, potentially paving the way for the controversial mega merger to get approved. The Post has learned. I love that. The Post has learned. We have learned it. Now, I'm not quite so sure that this deal is terribly controversial, except in the eyes of various places in the regulatory environment. I'm not hearing a lot of controversy from, I don't know, every other publisher that is a competitor to Activision. I'm really not hearing any controversy coming from the likes of Nintendo or the PC community or the mobile gaming community. Mostly it's just Sony. Uh, And maybe Sony can elect a controversy on its own, but I really don't feel controversial is the way to describe Microsoft times Activision as it stands right now. That notwithstanding, the Post has learned of a rift. What does that rift mean? Well, that comes in the second paragraph of this article. At least one Democrat on the four-member panel has recently taken a sympathetic view of the merger according to a source close to the situation. Now, we're going to pause here in the middle of the paragraph because unlike the Bloomberg article where the kind of information that Bloomberg is being given can realistically only come from a Microsoft insider, here, the language used to describe this anonymous source is not at all clear about whether or not this person legitimately has this information, right? There are a lot of individuals that are close to the situation, either at the Federal Trade Commission, Microsoft, Activision, or even in Washington, D.C. So you're looking at a situation in which it is very important to understand who is telling you this. And so we have to get that grain of salt up to boulder size levels, because if it's, say, Microsoft, who's been dealing with the Federal Trade Commission, says, hey, New York Post, we think we got one of the commissioners and there's now a 2-2 lock-in vote. Well, they're close to the situation. They fulfill the requirements of being described in this way, and they probably don't know specifically what's going to happen with the Federal Trade Commission on a realistic level. So take it with that grain of salt. Let's assume for purposes of this conversation that it's an actual FTC insider that would have reason to know these things in order to have the conversation the New York Post wants to have, but understand that that's a hypothetical in and of itself. That in turn, says the New York Post, could create a difficult path for FTC Chair Lena Khan, who according to insiders, has eyed Microsoft's deal as a major target as she looks to burnish her credentials as a trust buster of big tech. Now there is just a heaping helping of speculation and editorializing here, right? So what it appears to be is that this entire article And I'll I'll just give you the spoiler alert because we haven't gotten very far in the article yet. This entire article is premised on this whisper. A source close to the situation says one of the Democratic commissioners flipped. And then out comes the thought experiment, hypotheticals, and effectively a virtual legality episode analyzing what that news could mean. But unlike virtual legality, where we admit we're not in the room and we're talking about these things from a reasoned basis, but not with special knowledge, the New York Post presents this through the lens of newsworthiness and telling you what's actually happening. In turn, could, notice that could, create a difficult path for the chair, who according to insiders, again anonymous, we assume insiders at the FTC, 
had eyed Microsoft's deal as a major target. We don't know that for a fact. We can speculate on that based on what Lena Khan has said, both in public and from leaks about what the FTC was doing. But we don't have any great insight as to whether she really wanted to look at the deal. And then you get editorializing. Why would she be looking at the deal? Well, now you're mind reading, but she'd be looking at it to burnish her credentials as a trust buster big tech. All of that makes sense. A reasonable person can analyze it and suggest that that is in fact the case, but it's not really the news, right? So they take one sentence that has a news item or an ostensible news item, a whisper that they've heard in the wind. They add on this and now they got a stew going. Sources said, we got nothing on this. Khan was in recent weeks still pushing to sue to block the merger. Late last month, Politico reported that an FTC lawsuit against the deal was likely noting that the agency's staff are skeptical of the company's arguments. Now, as I pointed out when we went over that article, staff would be preparing a complaint as long as they're not claiming to allow the deal at this point in time. And there's no indications that any of these regulators are just going to let it sail through without concessions. So they'd be working on that complaint anyway. There's a lot of questions as to exactly how far the FTC was willing to push this. And nobody should rely specifically on sources said. So we really don't know what Lena Khan wanted to do behind the scenes. And we don't know that specifically because we don't have insiders or sources that are actually accurately described or they are accurately described. We don't get any details on what that description might be. The FTC's sole Republican commissioner, Christine Wilson, has signaled support of the deal. But sources say at least one of the four member panels, three Democratic commissioner, which in addition to Khan includes Rebecca Slaughter and Alvaro Bedoya, also has recently appeared to lean towards the Microsoft camp, again, according to a source close to the situation. Is that an insider? Is that at one of the parties? Again, we don't know. So it's all this whisper. It's this, they get a call, they get an email, they get a text that one of the Democrat commissioners is likely to flip. And this leads to this article. Some of the Democrats might be more comfortable with a settlement approving the deal with concessions from the companies instead of trying it, trying to block it altogether, an FTC insider told The Post. So this appears to be what that whisper is. We don't know because we're not getting enough detail from the New York Post. This is one of the complaints I have about them. But at least here they're describing it as someone at the FTC. And there's no question that an FTC insider giving this particular whisper is more important than a Microsoft insider or an Activision insider, because they have any reason to say, oh, this deal is going to go through, somebody has flipped, et cetera, et cetera, and to kind of try to police the media relations side of this entire deal. Here, if it is, in fact, an FTC insider saying, hey, the Democrats might be more comfortable with a settlement, that's a big deal. So right now, we've got that one bit of news in all of these paragraphs so far. And honestly, it isn't the strangest thing to see in this case. Lena Khan was put in position at the FTC specifically to be activist. That is what the Biden administration wanted out of that role. They seem to be getting that out of that role. This is a no judgment zone on that, but not every member of the commission was placed there on that same kind of basis, right? In fact, if we go and we look at the timeframes in which these people were added to the Federal Trade Commission, here we've got a June 15, 2021, Lena Khan, and Alvaro Bedoya is May 16, 2022. These are Biden administration appointees and Biden and his administration and these particular appointees at the Federal Trade Commission have all expressed a desire to effectively use the FTC more to largely police technology companies and enforce antitrust laws. By comparison, Rebecca Slaughter, this Democrat, is from May 2nd, 2018. That's prior 
to the Biden administration and represents a different kind of democratic approach. Christine Wilson, the Republican, uh, was the senior vice president of Delta Airlines. It's really no surprise uh, that she would be in favor of most deals that are going to cross her desk uh, on this kind of thing. So you've got this kind of bifurcation. So it doesn't take a lot of speculation to assume that it isn't Lena Khan and it isn't Alvaro Bedoya, but is in fact, if there is a flip happening, happening with respect, with respect to Rebecca Slaughter, which is exactly the kind of analysis the New York Post does as we continue with their article. While the identity of the dissenting Democrat couldn't immediately be confirmed. So understand what that says in journalist speak. We have no idea which individual they're talking about. DC sources following the situation. Pause. This isn't even a source. Source is a wrong kind of concept for this. This is effectively experts say. This is somebody on the outside. This is virtual legality. They could have called me up and said, hey, who do you think is the person? I would have looked at the Wikipedia entries. I wouldn't do this for the New York Post, but I would have looked at the Wikipedia entry there and said, okay, here are the commissioners. Here's the stats behind them. Rebecca Slaughter is the most obvious choice here. Doesn't appear to be Lena Khan. Lena Khan has expressed a desire through all of the speech making we've seen from her to be as aggressive as possible with the Federal Trade Commission tools at her disposal. And very similarly, Bedoya has been put to that position after a very controversial Senate confirmation to go with Lena Khan and do that with her versus Slaughter, who is a completely different kind of situation, years at the commission, I would assume that it is Rebecca Slaughter. So DC sources following the situation, you should just think in your head, is just Hogue on YouTube, sitting on a camera and making guesses as to what makes the most sense. New York Post has run out of a factual basis here. They pointed to Slaughter, who was acting FTC chair until last year, when President Joe Biden installed 33-year-old Khan at the helm of the powerful regulatory agency. A Democratic defection would leave Khan with a 2-2 tie in any vote to clamp down on the merger, a result that would not only effectively okay the deal, but also throw Khan's authority over the agency into question. Now, okay, again, sounds like affirmation. It would allow it for right now. Obviously, Rebecca Slaughter, if it was in fact her that is indicating that she's prepared to flip on this, uh, would be allowed to vote on a 3-2-3-1 basis for the Federal Trade Commission to bring a lawsuit later on if it later came out that this deal somehow did substantially lessen competition and represent some kind of antitrust risk. We see the very same with the Facebook lawsuits against their Instagram and WhatsApp acquisitions, where the Federal Trade Commission is currently locked in a legal battle to try to force a divestiture from Facebook slash Meta years and years and years after that acquisition took place because they look at the, the groundscape here and say that there's a problem with the current competition. That, accordingly, is a vote that Khan isn't likely to risk, according to DC Insiders. The chairperson of an agency would prefer not to have the motion that she brings struck down uh, based on a party defection. This is not great um, specific analysis to this deal. Lena would probably not put things in a position for that to take place. So instead of having that vote, she would make the motion to approve a settlement, said William Kovacic, a former FTC chairman. The way out is to say we got a great deal and only got it because we've been badasses. And in case you think commissioners or high-ranking government officials don't talk like that, well, I'm here to bring the light to that situation. They do, in fact, talk like that. And I tend to agree. Since I've been talking about this now here in episode 50 of the playlist, I have said a motivated regulator could bring an action against 
the deal on bases like cloud gaming or Game Pass subscription service gaming. I don't think consoles actually works uh, very well, but they could, as a motivated regulator, bring that claim, but it would still be in their best interest to go and get a concession that looks like they are doing something for their constituency, whatever jurisdiction that might be, and not bringing it up before the various courts of that jurisdiction, because certainly in the United States, we're looking at a legal situation in which Microsoft can very, very specifically argue that subscription gaming isn't a separate market, that cloud gaming isn't a separate market, that they are in a relatively low position in terms of market power in overall gaming, in console gaming, in the distribution of gaming software, and that it is not the purview of the antitrust regulators to give extra power to the market leader or to preserve that market leader's market position. So they would have a very strong legal argument. Again, in my opinion, that's what we do here. And in general, these regulators, certainly in the United States, but potentially in Europe and the UK as well, wouldn't want to get into a big bruising legal fight because, well, the strength or lack thereof of their arguments would be exposed. Microsoft has a history of courting Democrats, says the New York Post. That's an interesting segue. We weren't talking about that at all. In the 2020 election cycle, Microsoft donated $13.8 million to Democrats and only $1.72 million to Republicans. In 2022, it gave 4.1 million to Dems and 1 million to Republicans, according to Open Secrets. Now, interestingly, this is just a paragraph out in the ether, seemingly intended to imply that Microsoft is somehow bribing the Democratic officials. I saw that racing around social media when this article was made public. I certainly think the implication is intended there by the New York Post, but it's just really not a surprise to me that a large technology company operating on the West Coast donates more money to Democrats than Republicans. That just strikes me as something that matches up with their political proclivities more than lobbying, even though I'm sure Microsoft lobbies a whole heck of a lot to both parties on this score. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer in July reportedly went to Washington State to meet Microsoft President Brad Smith, he's in charge of governmental relations, and discuss, among other things, the pending Activision merger and its potential impact on New York, which at least for me isn't immediately obvious. They also reportedly met in February. So Senate Majority Leader Schumer went in both February and July to Microsoft President Brad Smith in Washington, the state, not the city, to talk over what this entire deal means. So you do have that kind of contact point with Microsoft that isn't really that unusual. Insiders note, and this is a big one, that Slaughter was Schumer's chief counsel from June 2014 to May 2018 before leaving to become an FTC commissioner. And this is Kovacic, the former FTC chairperson, that says this is when Schumer called his old protege and says, what's up? Now, all of this is possible. In fact, I think all of this is great educated guesswork. But educated guesswork is all it is. So the New York Post now has a single whisper that says a Democrat might flip assumes it's this particular person and then builds a story about the fact that they have these connections and that the Senate majority leader is interested in the $70 billion acquisition, which is one of the biggest uh, in American history. I can't imagine why the Senate would be interested in that. Meanwhile, reports surfaced in recent days that Microsoft has signaled its willingness to make significant concessions to get the deal done. Last week, Reuters reported that Microsoft was likely to offer a 10-year licensing deal. That was actually the New York Times first, as long as we're giving credit for these things. But I can't imagine why the New York Post wouldn't want to give credit to the Times. As reported by the Post earlier last month, Microsoft's stubborn refusal to offer concrete concessions to regulators and rivals in exchange for winning the deal has been a major sticking point. 
Now, the New York Post did, in fact, report on this deal last month with the insiders are worried about the deal going forward uh, that we did discuss and isn't a very good piece of reporting either. But suffice it to say, Microsoft had every reason to not offer things on its own, and most companies would follow Microsoft's lead on strategy here, even though you can elect to self-offer concessions before the regulators even ask for them. If Microsoft is finally showing a willingness to budge, that weakens any case by the FTC to block the merger and emboldens dissenters at the Federal Trade Commission, according to experts. Experts in what? We don't know. Presumably antitrust, but it could be in French cuisine. We have no idea from the descriptions that the New York Post is giving to us, but it does make sense if Microsoft is willing to give and give and give more, then there are openings at the regulatory bodies to go and side with Microsoft. That's the point. Now, do I think that Microsoft has only now started to indicate that they are willing to agree to concessions on this? I don't. I think if you go back to February or maybe even late January, you will see Brad Smith, you will see Phil Spencer, you will see Satya Nadella talking about, we want to support PlayStation. We don't have reason to kill the access to Call of Duty and talking about labor positions like Activision's potential unionization with the quality assurance workers and potentially even more, culminating over the summer in Microsoft agreeing to a neutrality agreement with CWA, which is going to come back. I promised you it would at the very end of this video. They have been consistent in their approach and strategy on this deal. They want to look like white knights. You can scoff at them if you want. In fact, I've laughed a little bit about what they've had to say in their press release uh, and their various PR junkets on this. They aren't quite the white knight that they depict themselves as, but their strategy is clear and has been clear for a long time. In fact, once they started talking about it in January and February that they were willing to put games on Sony, I said they are signaling to these various regulatory bodies they are okay with concessions and here are the kinds of concessions they would be okay with. It's obviously escalated in recent weeks to now a 10-year deal being lobbied about, especially by Microsoft giving that information specifically to the New York Times in their article. And we can imagine that it would have the effect the New York Post posits here, speculates on, which is to say if there were somebody that was a possibility of flipping and being for the deal or otherwise not blocking it, as the FTC might otherwise want to do, it would be the kind of person that says, well, what would we realistically want them to do in order to preserve competition? They're offering a 10-year license. Maybe they're offering something else as well. We can't just go out there and ask for more. This is great speculation. This is what learned people with experience working with regulatory bodies would say. It is, however, not quite news. What makes it difficult is when Microsoft goes to their friends in blue, that's the Democrats, and says, we have provided a package of solutions for all the perceived problems, and the folks at the FTC are being very unreasonable if they don't take it, Kovacic said. Now, he refers to them as friends in blue. But again, the nature of the thing is, if you're offering everything that Sony wants, if you're offering everything a regulator could reasonably be expected to get, absent blocking the deal, then what are we really talking about here? If Microsoft does indeed offer a significant remedy, President Biden would likely want the deal cleared, says the New York Post, and ask someone such as his antitrust advisor, Tim Wu, to push Khan to accept the proposal. The ex-FTC chairman said, I'm sorry, I guess this was attributed to that ex-FTC chairman that they're really leaning on here as a observer of the Washington, D.C. condition. The pitch would be that Microsoft can be trusted to keep its promises because of its past history of responsible behavior, sources said. And that's part of the story as well. We saw in Politico, you saw in Reuters, that there's a suggestion that the Federal Trade Commission is against behavioral remedies, those remedies that include a promise or a covenant to do something or refrain from doing something. They'd prefer to only be acting on structural remedies 
divestitures and such, which is undoubtedly true. It's undoubtedly the case. But this is a very interesting deal that really doesn't lend itself to a divestiture or structural kind of remedy because Call of Duty is Activision. Activision is Call of Duty. And the other things that you might be concerned about, Microsoft doesn't have an equal position in, right? King, giant mobile company, Microsoft doesn't have a material position in mobile gaming. So it's very difficult to see them separating from that. And this entire infrastructure is all one and the same and all of the efficiencies that that includes. So divestiture is not the most obvious solution to any problem with the power that you might have by purchasing Activision. Nevertheless, Sony, we have seen, has gone out now to the CMA with the very heightened, pretty much maximal argument against the deal saying an independent Activision must survive. And if it is no longer independent, the gaming industry will die basically, or at least Sony will in the eye of a monopolistic Microsoft. It does become hard to say this is not good enough, said Kovacic, who now puts the chances of the merger getting approved at 70%. Recognize that number? It becomes more difficult for the commission to push this aside. Doubts about the deal on Wall Street persist. They talk a little bit about the stock market. I'm not as convinced, you've heard me say this in the playlist, that there are that significant of doubts on Wall Street other than time. See, time matters to an investor. Time matters, especially in an environment where you're facing inflation, where you're facing markets that are going and diving and doing all sorts of weird things with your dollar that you might otherwise invest. You don't want time. Time is your enemy. You want that $95 now. And if you get $95 in two years because this process just takes that long, well, then it's not a good investment, even if it is ultimately going to go through. So I do think a lot of this analysis from places like The Poster that aren't doing regular financial discussions are ignoring the fact that time matters. Time matters a lot. And so you've got at the end of the day an article that I promised I would talk about. I I said to folks on Twitter, this would definitely be the virtual legality today, but you have to take an article like this with a grain of salt. They appear to have one piece of information from an insider who is not named, who may be in a different office, could be in the Republican's office saying, I think the Democrat guy is going to flip. You don't know because the New York Post won't tell you. And the bulk of this is raw speculation from one XFTC person that they got on the phone to say, well, Lena Khan wouldn't want to bring this vote. I agree, but we're just speculating now. It's probably Rebecca Slaughter because it doesn't make sense for it to be the other two. Okay, that also checks out. We don't actually have verification on the sourcing, so we have to take that still with a grain of salt. And then a bunch of speculation about what Joe Biden will do or what an administration might want to have happen in this particular scenario when a two to two lockout vote may serve a political end if the Biden administration slash the FTC wants to push forward antitrust regulation and reform through the Congress itself. So there's a lot of variables still in play, but one that is most definitely going against the FTC, not just the articles that we've talked about, not just the Supreme Court ruling that we've talked about, is the fact that Lena Khan is on record saying she's worried about workers and Microsoft has entirely co-opted the CWA. Right. The one that is unionizing Activision that originally signed on with those senators to tell the Federal Trade Commission to take a close look at this deal issued while I was setting up this to record a tweet that says if the FTC approves the Microsoft Activision merger with the labor agreement that we created to protect collective bargaining rights, which is already done from this summer, it would send a game changing message to corporations. Workers do have a seat at the table and their concerns must be addressed. So the CWA is saying this, is doing this on essentially Microsoft's behalf. Now you could argue, okay, Microsoft bribed them. But when we talk about those kinds of things, it gets difficult on social media because people are so willing to jump to these kind of hyperbolic assertions. What I would say is they gave them what they were looking for. 
in terms of protection, in terms of a concrete agreement. You could think Microsoft's going to go back on it next year or two years after the deal, and that's worth considering. The CDWA has considered it, and they're in the best position to figure out what is important to them and how they need to handle their own business. So right now, all the cards appear to be arrayed on Microsoft's behalf, but, but... What we have on the New York Post is not at all convincing to me from a sourcing perspective, but it's also not convincing that Lena Khan was up and ready to sue over this deal until this weekend's news broke. So that's my opinion here in virtual legality. If you like these kinds of conversations, please consider supporting the channel. We've got a Utreon with fantastic tiers and we've got a Patreon with fantastic tiers. Please do check those out. We've also got a YouTube membership that's available. And if none of those appeal to you, just subscribing, telling your friends, ringing bells, hitting buttons, leaving comments, Every little bit helps. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.